there's a war taking place in my neighborhood. You're like, what? Go on. (laughs) It is a battle to acquire the loyalty of people and their resources. Okay? This uh, has taken a place a lot in our society. A battle between, for example, the iPhone and the Android. How many iPhone people do we have? Raise your hands and represent. How many Android people do we have? It's like 50-50. It's just a bad... <laughs> Eric's like, I don't know if I really want to raise my hand. <laughs> Maybe you're one of those guys that's ready for an iPhone. He's just, no. Oh, okay, okay. Maybe he's just a little bit stronger with that. Between Coke and Pepsi... How many Coke people do we have? How many Pepsi people do we have? How many people just don't want to raise their hand? You still raise raise it anyway. All right, good. Between Coke and Pepsi, okay, between domestic beer versus imported beer, satellite or cable, or just simply, in my case, cutting the cord altogether, okay? There's a battle of ideas constantly that's going back and forth, a battle for your loyalties and for your attention. In my neck of the woods right now, the real battle is between grocery stores. We've had Food Lion, and we've had Walmart for forever, and Publix. And we've always gone to Publix because it's right across the street. But what's happened here in the last month is that Lowe's Foods has come to the neighborhood. And with Lowe's Foods coming to the neighborhood, it's like you just said, there's probably no going back for me. But what's interesting is that literally just around the corner and less than a quarter mile away from the Lowe's, what's also coming in that should be ready very soon is a fresh market. And a fresh market, of course, if you've ever been there, has a lot of things that some other people don't have as well. Now, between all of these grocery stores coming in, I'm sure that there is going to be a battle that ensues. Okay, there's always a battle with grocery stores over prices, right? There's a battle with who's got the freshest food. And the biggest battle, the most important one to me, is over selection, okay? Who has the most stuff, okay? So when you're trying to eat healthy, which I have not been very successful with lately, you want as much variety as you can, for example, with, let's say, vegetables. One of the things Lowe's Foods has got me with is they have things I've never seen before. Has anybody seen a purple sweet potato? I know you have, Chef Sam. Yeah. Not in real life. I've seen it on TV. Lowe's Foods has purple. They are real. <laughs> they do exist. They have purple sweet potatoes, okay? They have purple cauliflower. Cauliflower. Purple cauliflower. They have orange cauliflower. They have green cauliflower. And they have just the boring white. Okay. So that alone has just got my attention. All of these things, this great selection. And so they're the winner for me because they have all these things that I've never seen before. I've never had the opportunity. Okay? But there's another battle that you've all seen. It's the battle, if you will, when you go into grocery stores between regular food, I say that in quotations, and organic. Have you ever faced this dilemma, right? You go in and you're like, do I get... I don't know what to call it, the regular zucchini or the organic zucchini? Do I get the, the regular, whatever that means, eggs, or the ones that are, what, cage-free, running around, 
free range is the appropriate word, right? So you might have pretty strong opinions on this, okay? Um, especially, though, because the prices are so outrageous, all right? But, you know, when you think about it, the, the organic food craze really is all about taking things back to what? Back to nature is a good word, but real food, right? Back to real food. And the idea that the, the real thing is not, and, and not the imitation, is what's best for a healthy life. Going to the original thing, to the real thing, okay? For some things, the difference in taste used to be pretty obvious, okay? You know, like, uh, has anyone ever had imitation cheese? No one wants that crap, right? Nobody wants that. You know, there's a big difference between that, even though it's cheaper, and then the real stuff, okay? So, you know, but the amount of imitation food, if you will, the things that we don't really consider real food has grown. And the imitations that they've taken these things with and the sugar and this, that, and the other, they've actually taken some things we probably wouldn't consider real food when you look at the label and say, this tastes pretty good. But some of that stuff, even though it tastes good, is not, what, real food, and it's not good for you. I even, I was look, I just wanted to pull something out of the cupboard. Chicken noodle, Campbell's chicken noodle soup, right? When you think of Campbell's, you think about, when I look at this, I, I think about being sick, honestly, you know? <laughs> Because, like, you pull out the chicken noodle soup when you're, you know, you're on your deathbed and you've got to have something to feel better. But even this, this hearty, healing chicken noodle soup has stuff in it that, that I don't recognize. Probably Dennis does, who's my acquiring chemical engineer over here. And, but, you know, when you pick up here, you expect it to say chicken noodles soup. I don't, you know. <laughs> Three things on here. And I'm obviously going blind because I can't even read it. So... You know, here's, you know, chicken stock, okay, enriched egg noodles, yeah, and they break that down, but then they say that's made out of wheat flour, eggs, and then, do you have any of this in your cupboard, any niacin? I don't even know what that is, okay? I'm sure it's probably, you know, good for you because it's in Campbell's. Ferrous sulfate, anybody got that lying around? Um, thymine, mono, mononitrate, riboflavin, folic acid. Last time I heard that was like you're supposed to have it when you're pregnant for babies or something, right? So maybe that's good. But not me being pregnant. But anyway, so even in a can of chicken noodle soup, and so I just had to bring that as an illustration, there's this, there's this need, though, because we recognize those things, to go back to the real thing. Peter wrote this second letter. We, we just came through First Peter last last week, but he's wrote this second letter, second letter, Second Peter chapter 2, to battle the imitation, to battle the false teachers that were trying to pull the church away from the real thing, the truth. The thing about food that's not organic is that it's cheaper, right? Okay? And it's cheaper, though, for a reason, isn't it? It's cheaper because it's made, it's not made with real food, it's not made with the pure stuff, it's not life-giving, if you will, like the real thing is. Instead, it's what? Full of preservatives. If you think about that on a spiritual level, there's these things that the world offers, if you will, that are preservatives that kind of pickle the soul. And so Peter was talking about bringing people back to the real thing. If you go into the second chapter of Second Peter, he begins to talk about all these false teachers and these things that, that people were, were teaching the church at the time. 
And so that's the context where we find ourselves when we look at this book. But I want to look at it, 2 Peter chapter 1. Again, we're looking at verse 1. Simon Peter, it says, a bondservant, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have received a faith, the same kind as ours. Other believers, let me talk to you for a minute, it says. So by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and the Lord Jesus our Christ. The more we know Jesus, the more we know the Lord, the more we, we realize the peace that can be ours. But it goes on and says this. He says, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. What's really cool about that passage of Scripture is it says that his divine nature has granted to us, given to us, everything that we need. It says everything pertaining to life and everything pertaining to godliness. God has given us everything that we need for those two things. What else is there? Life and godliness really kind of come together, but the aspect of godliness that I believe he's talking about is I've given you everything that you need to grow up. I've given you everything that you need to to honor me and to live for me and to accomplish the purpose for which I have for you. I have given you everything. So the source for all of this always goes back to the Lord. I've given you everything that you need. And it's interesting because we consider that in the context of real food. This is really all you need as it boils down to this. This is the real stuff. God offers it. He says, for by these he has granted to us, in verse 4, his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. So he says, hey, just let me start this off. First of all, God's given us everything that we need. And he's also allowed us to partake in the divine nature of God. And that's like, whoa, I don't know what you're saying there. God is saying, I'm I'm allowing you to partake of me, to understand, to interact with me, to have such an intimate relationship with me that you partake of the divine. We are, for example, children of God, the Bible says. Christians, those who follow Christ, are children of God. The Bible also teaches mysteriously that in some way that his Holy Spirit indwells us and lives within us, okay? I don't understand all of that to just lay it all out, but I know that's what the Bible teaches and it's true, and we can sense God's Spirit, God's presence with us. He says, this is how you interact with me, though, is that you interact with me through, through these promises, through the Word of God, the Lord has told us things that he says, if you do this, this will happen, or if you trust in me, this will happen. I just want to give an example, okay? We don't have this up on the screen, but just to give an example of some of the promises of God. In Isaiah 40, 31, you've probably heard this before, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. If we hope in the Lord, if our hope is in him, we will have what? We'll have strength. He's going to take care of us. There's a promise of God. Another one. Isaiah 41 says, So do not fear, for I'm with you. 
Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. We're not alone. God's with us. When we understand these promises, when we rely upon God, we're interacting with the Lord, we're partaking of the divine nature, okay? Some more stuff. James 1.5. This is probably one of my favorite things lately, okay? If any of you lacks wisdom, anybody just wondering what in the world they should do about something right now? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And, uh, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. Go figure who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. You need wisdom? Where do you go? You go to God. God says, I'm going to give you wisdom. I'm going to help you to understand what to do next, what steps to take. Come to me. That is partaking of the divine nature, going to him for wisdom rather than what? Well, people speak. Sometimes the Lord speaks through people, but yeah, some, some people are not the best givers of wisdom. Some... Other teachings are not the best uh, wisdom for things. You, you've had bad, anybody had bad advice? Let's just put it that way. We don't need to break that down. Yeah, I've had it. Yeah. Bad advice, and you followed through with it, and you did some really dumb things, and you regret it, okay? The wisdom we need should come from the Lord. And this goes back to the real versus counterfeit thing, too. We need the real stuff. We need true wisdom that only God can see. We need someone that has a perspective that's so high up, he can see it all, can't he? That's why we go to the Lord. And then another example, submit yourselves then to God. This is in James 4. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. If you submit yourself to God, if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. Great promise to know that, that if you're dealing with things like that, you just go to the Lord. This is a great, great one out of 1 John, not regular John, 1 John. Okay? If we confess our sins, anybody ever screwed up? Every hand should probably go up here. All right? Some of you are like, well, my mom's not here. She don't know. Okay? All right. If we confess our sins, speaking of Jesus, it says, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Well, that's another way of interacting, of taking of the divine. Okay? What an amazing promise. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, to wipe away the past, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here's a great one. This is another one of those that's like stitched into stuff and put into frames and put on the walls. You've got a poster of it somewhere. I don't know if anyone has a tattoo in an appropriate place. Maybe you can show us later. But 2 Chronicles 7.14, right? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. We partake in the divine nature by partaking and and interacting with these promises of God. There's another passage of scripture that's really cool where it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. The tasting is not just for for the tongue, if you will. It's for the soul. It's for the experience of life. Tasting and seeing that God is good. Realizing that his way is the best way. Tasting and seeing and knowing that he is good. Partaking in the promises of God. So he's given us his promises. These ways that we are able to partake of God. This divine nature. And it says this. 
that you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. The good stuff gets corrupted. And really, that's what we were talking about when it comes to food. There's some really good stuff in this can of Campbell's chicken noodle soup, right? It's the chicken and it's the noodles, and we don't know what everything else is, but we know it tastes good. But the good stuff often gets corrupted. It often gets twisted, okay? It gets twisted. It gets pulled away from its original intent. That's why the church can still celebrate things like this, like wine and sex. You're like, I didn't think I'd hear that this morning in church, okay? You think about two of the biggest things that the world takes and twists and the devil uses for his own means and purposes. It's alcohol and it's sex. The Bible does not say that there's anything wrong with alcohol. It says the abuse of alcohol is wrong. Getting drunk because you make very bad decisions, you do stupid things, is what's sinful. Not the drinking of beer and alcohol and liquor and that kind of stuff. It is the abuse of it. The same thing with all of this that's really even above alcohol is the world's use of sex. Sex was created by God. It's a good thing. It was something that he made, of course. The true intent for that, of course, was to be used into the context of marriage so that two people that love each other get as close as they possibly can be. The world's taken that and broken it down, cheapened it up, and, and pulled it away. But when you pull that away from its intent, things get corrupted. The truth gets corrupted, and it's not what it was intended to be. It says, he's given us of these promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. It says, now that, considering all those things, he's given us this list of things to focus on. This is a great passage of scripture where if you're one of those list takers, if you're like one of those tell me what to do, A, B, C, D kind of, kind of sermons, you know, Lord, what do I do here? I don't want to have to think too much out of the box. He says, all right, Peter says, here's some stuff for you to focus on. Put these things in your bag of tricks, so to speak. Put these things in your life. If you focus on these things, you're going to be able to avoid corruption that we just talked about, and you're going to be fruitful, you're going to be effective, if you will, in your life, and what God has called you to do, and you're not going to stumble. You won't fall, you won't be corrupted, you will fulfill the calling God has placed on your life if you do these things. Like, all right, cool. What are they? So when you look at Second Peter, this is what it says. It says, now for this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith, supply, and it's going to give the list. I want to stop there for a second before we give the list, because he says, with all diligence, with all passion. Sam and I, Chef Sam, you've met Sam this morning, a friend of mine that works with me at the mission was talking about you know, the passion, the mission. We can, we can go through the, the, the motions, but there's a difference between going through the motions and having passion. If you have passion, you have that all diligence that says, I am sticking to this. I am following through with this. I am going to make this happen. The due diligence in our household lately since... Justin had this crazy idea that God led him to do to do Financial Peace University has forced us in this part where we had to do due diligence in our finances, and it sucks. <laughs> Thanks a lot. 
but it's due diligence knowing that the end result is fruitful. The end result is good. It's peaceful. It's more comforting, even though it sucks, to be pulling away from the cliff. Right? It makes you feel good when you got a credit card and you feel like you're just living it up. You can have everything. You don't have to say no. Let's do this. Let's do that. But the problem is that runs out. There is a point where you walk over the cliff and you're like, I can't pay this. And then we go from having a little to having nothing. No credit. Anyway, you get the point. So this due diligence is important. You can't just, eh, that's great. Nice list. I'll put a picture up on my wall. I'll even get the tattoo. If you put stuff in front of you but you don't do it, it's meaningless, right? We have a nutritional chart, I'm sure, somewhere that we've seen. We don't care sometimes when we open up the fridge. We don't care. Or, you know, I've got a membership. I pay for both of us a monthly membership to move fitness. It used to be golds, right? Now it just doesn't sound so appealing. I'm paying for that, but just holding the membership means jag. I mean, I actually got to show up. I got to get up early. I got to go running. I got to sweat. I got to lift heavy things and put them above my head or my chest or below. I, yeah. You don't get the benefits without the due diligence. He says, with all diligence, look at this list. For this reason, also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. That's the first step. Moral excellence is just this general aspect of virtue, of goodness. It's kind of this built-in, hello, idiot, this is the right thing to do kind of thing. Okay? Focus on goodness. Focus on virtue, which, of course, the source is the Lord. But this is just general kind of umbrella goodness. Do good. Do good stuff. Do good things. If i got to explain it to you, oh, that's a shame. Okay? Moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, that's, that's number one, add this. How about some knowledge, okay? How about some knowledge? How about actually being an intelligent Christian that knows what the Bible actually says so we don't sound so stupid, so we don't repeat things that we thought we heard someone say that I think's in the Bible, but I'm not really sure it's in the Bible. And if you don't really know what it says, how do you know how to live? It's on the Internet. Sure, but do you go to the Internet? You know, how many, how long did it take? You know, we had to have public service messages and it was all over the radio and, and all over the internet for people to realize that they had to put on glasses and they couldn't look directly at the sun for the solar eclipse last week. Because you might, shoot your eye out. No, you might burn your eye out, right? Because people don't take the extra step to just take five seconds and look something up for themselves. We need believers, Peter is saying, that know what the heck the Bible has to say, that know what Jesus said and not just this passed down idea, I think he said this, I think this is okay, maybe, maybe not, I don't know. This is how you live. Put some stuff in your head that makes sense. So diligence, there's the diligent word again. Let's keep coming back to that. Diligently be good, okay? Do the right thing. Diligently learn. Read something in here. What does God actually have to say? That's two. All right. Moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, well, this is a tough one, self-control. Self-control. You guys know every week this comes up, I talk about traffic. Madonna, I saw your post on Facebook. 
this week with, with people going back to school, it's like 10 times worse. People realize they don't know how to drive and there's accidents and there's craziness because kids are going back to school. I don't get it. People don't know what an entrance ramp. Anyway, I have, I struggle with self-control always and it's ridiculous how badly I struggle with it because I just want to get somewhere. Don't people know that I want to go here to there? Why don't they just get out of the way? If they're slow, why don't they just get over? You think some of these things are common sense. You think not looking at the sun without glasses is common sense. But we have to have, it's not an excuse for me, self-control. When I'm in traffic, self-control. The things that I say, self-control. The things where I have a choice to do something that's right or wrong, self-control. That has got to be in the list that we are diligently working on. There are so many guys Sam can attest to and I that, that fall out of the program at the mission because they lack self-control. Even though they know the right thing to do and what's best for them, they lack that self-control and they fall from the top all the way back to the bottom of the barrel again. Diligently work on goodness, on knowledge, on self-control. That's, that's my issue when we're talking about finances, is the self-control thing. But I really, really want this. I really, really, really want to do this. I've had a rough day. Let's just go eat out. Right? That's how we feel. Let's eat out. Let's get lots of wine. And we can just forget about it for a while. But the bill shows up next month. It gets bigger and it gets bigger. All right, I'm going to shut up now. So, goodness. <laughs> knowledge. The knowledge in that aspect is important too. Self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. Perseverance is this attitude that says, I am not going to give up. I am not going to give up. There are, there are people that you've met in your life that, that are just always there, that always follow through, that never, ever give up. And when it comes to, to life, when it comes to honoring the Lord, when it comes to following through with the things he's called us to do, there has to be this attitude that says, I am not going to quit. I am never going to give up. Goodness, knowledge, self-control, and perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. Godliness, if you break down that word, godliness, like God. Having a character that is like God. One of the things that we've talked about before when you look at the book of James is that you look at yourself in the mirror, you see things that, that are out of place, things that need to be changed. How do you become like the Lord? You look at what he is like. What is his character like? That's why the, the, the top of the list, virtue, vir, virtuous excellence, if you will, is different than godliness. This general being good, of course that fits in, but God-likeness, being like him, what is he like? We are called to be like him. We look at a great description of him when it comes to love. Love is patient, love is kind, loves all those things in that list, right? That's what God is like. We see what God is like as we look at, at story after story. We see it the way that Jesus treats people. We see the love that he shows, the, the forgiveness and the grace and, and all these things. That's what we are to be like. When you look at this list of six or seven things, you think, oh, that's just seven things, but there's a lot in that word, isn't there? 
of godliness, of being like him. In your knowledge, self-control. In your self-control, perseverance. In your perseverance, godliness. In your godliness, brotherly kindness. That brotherly kindness would be, that's just, it's, there's two words at the end of this passage that are both actually love. And the first, in, in Greek, there are several versions of the word love that are more specific. In this one, it is phileo, like as in Philadelphia, okay? Phileo is this brotherly love, this, this love, if you will, for your fellow man. That brotherly kindness. And, and as soon as I read that and think about that and how I feel towards my, my fellow man driving, there's got to be some issues. There's got to be some things that change. You know? We have this ability of dehumanizing people when we're in cars, when we walk down the street, we see someone that does something stupid, we think, or you know, and, and they're just the other, right? They become the other. They're not real people. But when you have brotherly kindness, that, that aspect of things is broken down. You know, when, when, when Sam and I walk down Main Street, for example, we see all kinds of homeless. What, what's our reaction there? You know, one of the biggest things, there's a guy who's, who's over what we call the AGRM convention. It's just this, the main organiz, org, organizing body that's overall missions. We kind of come together and he says, you know, how do you really help the homeless? It's like the top three things of the list that he gives are to simply treat them like they're human. When you go down the street, do you look them in the eye? Do you acknowledge them? You just simply acknowledge someone that's homeless, for example. That, that just goes, that lifts them up worlds apart because they feel invisible. They feel the very bottom of society that people won't even look at them when they're on the street. Can you imagine being in that position? Where it's almost like you don't exist. You don't feel human because people won't even look you in the eye, won't even say hello to you. So don't worry about the stress of do I give them money, do I not give them money. How about just acknowledging them? Let's just start there. Brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, of course, this is all wrapped up with the word love. That's the, that's the Greek word agape, which is some people describe that. It can be described in many ways, but as unconditional. This unconditional love that doesn't say, I love you because of this, right? The Gamecocks are going to be like that, right? Everyone's like, this is the year! Right? And some of you are already like, no, we know it's not. <laughs> you know? And it starts out like that, and we got new players, and we got this, that, and the other, and everyone loves the Gamecocks before they play their first game. And then the agape love just goes, we love you because you're winners. We love you because you're pretty. We love you because you're smart. We love you because you got money. We love you because... Agape is not an I love you because, it's an I love you the way you are. I just love you. That's huge. Those things need to be diligently worked upon in our lives. If we're going to be fruitful and effective, let's look at what it says. Verse 8 is where we are. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, that means they're growing, they're, they're going somewhere, right? That means they're active in your life, 
they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You ever feel, where am I getting? Am I, am I accomplishing anything? Am I doing what I'm supposed to? If you do these things, will will render you neither useless nor unfruitful. Because it says in verse 9, for he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. You forgot everything the Lord did for you. You forgot the grace and the love that he showed you. You forgot all the crap that you did before that he forgave you from. You forget those kinds of things. You live a different life. You start living for yourself. And whenever done something great for you, and at the time you're like, woohoo, and I love you, thank you so much. It's like that, it's like that at Christmas every year with the kids, right? All of a sudden, they love you more than they ever have because they got what they wanted. But don't you want to sometimes bring up, like, you know, even an hour later, did you just forget what I, why are you treating me like this? Mom and dad just, that's just an hour later. And Jesus is saying, don't forget what I've done for you. If you don't have these qualities, you've forgotten what I've done. It says, therefore, in verse 10, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing for you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in the way the for in this way entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. If these things, in other words, are not in your life, you've gotten off track. And sometimes there needs to be this point, this gut check reminder of, of, of these things where the Lord is like, are you sure of your calling? Do you remember who you really are? Do you know that you are a believer in Christ? And if so, you're called to live a certain way. You're called to do a certain thing. If you forget these things, I mean, stop. You're going to have to do some homework today on your own when you leave here and think about those things we talked about. Are these things in my life? Not sometimes. Are they growing? Are they getting stronger? Or am I off track? As he continues, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm out of time here, so I'm going to wrap this up as quickly as I can. In verse 12, Peter says this. He says, Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to to call these things to mind. Peter is basically saying, you know what, it's a pastor's job to remind you of these things. You know, when I get up here and I speak on Sunday mornings, for the, for the majority of the time, I'm not sharing anything you probably haven't heard before. I'm not sharing anything new. But what God's called me to do, like Peter, is, is to remind you, to remind all of us, to stir us up and to say, this is what God's called us to. Because we are a very forgetful people. We're a very distracted people. We forget the truth so many times and we get off track. We need to be reminded of the things we already know. We need to be stirred up. What do coaches do, right, since we brought about football? What do coaches do when the, when the team is just playing like crap? What? People say, we need to have a return to what? Return to the fundamentals. You know, hey, guys, 
the people with the ball are running all over us. We need to teach you how to tackle, to wrap up, right? We need to teach you how to, to not go off the line until the right count is said. These are basics. These are fundamentals. We need to be taken back and reminded of the fundamentals so often. And he continues and he says this. This is really cool. In verse 16, Peter says, You know what? For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. The story of Jesus, the things I'm telling you, this isn't just some fairy tale that we made up. We were there. I was there. I saw what happened. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. It says, And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. He's referring back to the time where there was, they, were, they were on this mountain, and Jesus reveals himself to the disciples, to Peter, James, and John, and God himself spoke from heaven. He's like, dude, I was there. You think I'm nuts? I'm telling you something. I'm not making this junk up. The Jesus that we follow, the God that we serve is real. This is legit. So if you're in the middle of that list and you're struggling with the all diligence to move forward, the diligence to be what God's called you to be, I want you to remember what he says, but remember, this is the real deal. This isn't just Sunday school. This isn't just church. This isn't just stuff that we talk about every week. He's real. He loves you, and he's call, he has a calling on your life. Let's look at the last verse. We're almost done. In verse 19, then it says, So we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. Jesus, the truth that we're referring to, is like a lamp that's shining in a dark place. People all across our world are looking for hope. And God is that lamp that's shining in a dark place. He is the sunrise, it says. Look at this. Till the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. There's lots of stars, right? But the morning star, he's referring to this, he's referring to the sunrise. One of the things that's different about the Jewish people as opposed to the Greek mind is the Greeks are like, I want to add this all up. I want this to be logical. Two plus two equals four, blah, 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 blah. And Jesus did it exactly this way. How much blood was spilled exactly? I want to measure it. I want to... That's the Greek mind. And the Jewish mind, the mindset of the Jews was, I want to see, they see in pictures, right? The Hebrew language itself is very visual. It's very picture-oriented. And at the end, he's wrapping this up and he's saying, Jesus is like this light that shines in the darkness and he is like the, the sunrise, the sunrise that, that takes place, if you will, in your heart. 
That's the kind of hope. I want you to visualize that, to feel that, if you will. He is that light that's shining in the darkness. He is the one who is like a sunrise in your life. The day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Did you watch the eclipse? I had no idea. I thought I knew what to expect. But when the eclipse happened, right, it wasn't just darkness. What we saw was the sun shining around the outside of the moon, which if you saw that at that moment of total eclipse, that was the glory of, of that moment, was seeing the sun shine all the way around. That is what was amazing about the eclipse. The true glory of the eclipse we witnessed was not the blackening of the sun. It was how the sun shone around the moon. No one, if you think about it, as cool as that was, wanted to remain in the darkness, right? We wanted to stay that way. It was pretty cool. But it's the contrast between the darkness and the light was astounding, wasn't it? It's the contrast between the darkness and the light. You know, there was a, a moment that was really cool, too, besides that. And it was the moment, if you're watching the eclipse, right when the sun poked through. Remember that moment? It didn't even take like a sliver of the moon passing by, and all of a sudden, it was like a laser beam in your face. All right, put your glasses around. Jesus says he's like a lamp that's shining in the darkness. We need to be reminded this morning that all we need is him. He's given us, as we look to the beginning of this chapter, all that we need for life, all that we need for godliness. This list of things to be stirred up, to be reminded, to be on the right track because this, as we say all the time, true life, real life is only found in him. He is the one because of the hope and the love and the grace that he gives that, that causes that sunrise to come as the morning star in our hearts. Jesus is where it's at. Always. So be reminded this morning and, and be diligent. Be diligent. Don't, don't just leave this morning like it's just him the other day. When is the time going to come where you decide to say, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really put these into practice. I'm really going to do something. This is the week things are going to change. This is the week, for example, with the knowledge aspect. You know what? I don't know the last time I cracked open my Bible. I'm going to read it this week. I don't know the last time I was actually just stopped without all the distractions and prayed. I'm going to, I'm going to pray this week. You know, I'm, I'm going to begin to look up. I'm going to begin, begin to realize that my life is more than about these aspects of my day where I get up, I have breakfast, I, go, I drive to work, I drive home, I make dinner, I go to bed. That's not what life is. Life is about Him. And if it's not, you're missing out. If you're like... 
one of those poor people that were just driving on the road that didn't even see the eclipse, didn't see the majesty of what we witnessed. You're missing out on the Lord if you're just going through the motions, if you're just going through life and not diligent to serve Him. Would you stand with me? Lord Jesus, we, we thank you for this list in First Peter and this challenging. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to evaluate where we are, to realize, Lord, that there's probably some areas we need to be diligent about. Maybe we need to be diligent about, about self-control. Maybe we need to be diligent in, in brotherly kindness and really loving our fellow men. And, and, or in just having the agape love that says, I love this person no matter what. Even if they're a jerk, even if this happens, it's not conditional, it's unconditional. Lord, help us to, to break through our schedules and to do what's important and, and apply knowledge. Lord, that we, we know what you say. Not because we've heard it from someone else, we've seen it for ourselves. Lord, we thank you for that picture that we see in Scripture today where we are this light shining in the darkness. Lord, we are you're this, you're the sunrise in our hearts. Lord, you were the hope and the life is at. Lord, I pray that we would honor you this week. We thank you for your presence with us today and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.